Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good Monday morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Michelle Smallman. Good morning, Randy Carriker, and welcome back. It's so great to have you here. It is great to be here. I I, I, I missed a lot. You did. In fact, <laughs> there were some major movements happening on the St. Louis sports scene while you were out. But how was your vacation or your staycation? It, it was great. I, I played a lot of golf, got to ride the bike, uh, came in here and spoke to uh, Adam on Thursday, which was a lot of fun. So, yeah, it was a great time. It, it actually was, you know, one of those vacations everybody says, when uh, not everybody, but a lot of times you'll ask somebody, how was your vacation? They'll say too short. It wasn't too short. It was perfect. It was good. Good. Well, it's good to have you back. We missed you. It's good to be back. And it's good to talk about baseball. The Dodgers, Michelle, are in a hole. Who would have thought that would have happened? To the Braves. Yeah, right. Unbelievable. <laughs> to the Austin, Braves. Austin Riley with an RBI hit to win the game on Saturday night. And then last night, game two, Max Scherzer taken out in the fourth inning and, or in the fifth inning. And he went four and a third. And he admitted he was done. He said, I had a dead arm. Mm -hmm. So they take Scherzer out and the Dodgers go to their bullpen. And they have a 4-2 lead heading into the eighth. And Dave Roberts brings in Jose Urias. Urias allows an RBI hit by Ozzie Albies. And all of a sudden, the game is 4-3. Albies at first. And here's that guy again, Austin Riley in the eighth. 4-3 game. Urias deals. Riley in the air. Center field. Didn't play up baseball awesome. It really is because anything can happen. And if you were a Braves fan, you probably didn't expect to be here. But if you're a Dodgers fan this morning, Randy, how are you feeling? You throw Scherzer on short rest after he closed out the Giants. He clearly was not himself, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. said he had a dead arm. And then Urias, who ends up giving up the all-important runs and who likely would be your Game 4 starter. I don't know if you still feel comfortable using him in that role. I know last night Dave, Dave Roberts indicated that he does, but after seeing what transpired with Scherzer, if I'm a Dodgers fan, I don't know how I feel coming back to him. I am absolutely concerned, and now you can't pitch Scherzer at home. You're going to have, the next time you see him, if you play the game, is going to be game six in Atlanta. So it's a 4-4 game going to the ninth. Brewster Gratterall on for the Dodgers, allows Travis Darno to single. Christian Pache comes on to pinch run, and Dansby Swanson grounds into a fielder's choice. Uh, Heredia grounded out. The Dodgers bring in Kenley Jansen to face Eddie Rosario. And first ball swinging. Scores and the Braves win again in their final at bat. 
and they lead the series two games to none. And the Dodgers, we hit, we saw this for the Cardinals in the wild card game with their inability to hit with runners in scoring position. Michelle, in the first two games, the Dodgers are two for 18 with runners in scoring position. Not going to win that way. No, Braves had two hits last night. Obviously, you just heard them two for six with runners in scoring position. And we can talk all we want about how the Dodgers issues revolve around Max Scherzer being tired and bringing in relievers at the wrong time. But at the core of it, the real issue is their inability to hit like they've hit all year. If the Braves end up beating the Dodgers and advancing, what a story. And a great story. I'm re- I'm not a Braves fan. Me either. But I'm more of an anti-Dodgers fan at this point. I was going to say, why wouldn't you cheer for an 88-win Braves team yeah. over a 106-win Dodgers team who actually bounced the team, if you're in St. Louis, bounced the team that you're cheering for? And they're just not very likable. The Dodgers are just not very likable. They're no. in L.A. They have all the star power, a seemingly unending bucket of resources. What team can go out after losing a Trevor Bauer and get a Max Scherzer and a Trey Turner? You you know, I think as sports fans, we always like to root, unless it's your team, we like to root for the underdog. Yeah. And the Braves are certainly the underdog here. And I agree with you just about at this point, the Dodger blue. I find their guys to be likable. I, I think Mookie Betts He's is great. great. Uh, I think that uh, Scherzer is, is fun. Cody Bellinger seems mm-hmm. like a really good guy. Joe Kelly. How can you not like Joe Kelly? That's right. But they've got a lot of likable people. But altogether with all the money they make and the fact that they're trying to kill a fly with a sledgehammer by going and getting Max Scherzer and Trey Turner I find the the way they go about their business and it's great but it is kind of offensive to the rest of baseball agreed and I think a lot of people around baseball if they have a rooting interest in the World Series, are hoping that the Braves advance because you're not going to cheer for anyone coming out of the American League side if you're here in St. Louis. No, you don't like the Red Sox because they've beaten you in the World Series a couple of times. You certainly don't like the Astros because they're cheaters. And that series is 1-1, and they play game three tonight, 7 o'clock. Jose Urquidy for the Astros and Eduardo Rodriguez for Boston. It's not just that the Red Sox have beaten you a couple times. And, and there was the Rams and Patriots. We obviously had the Bruins in the Stanley Cup Finals. You're exactly right. It's Boston sports fans. They don't need another championship. They're insufferable. And they know they're insufferable. Right, which is part of it. (laughs) So game three in the National League tomorrow. And Charlie Morton, don't sleep on Charlie Morton, one of the great postseason pitchers of recent vintage. He'll be opposed by Walker Bueller. That's a four o'clock start St. Louis time. So a two o'clock start in L.A. So they'll have some shadows. Looking forward to that. That'll be great. Hockey, congratulations to the St. Louis Blues. They win game one of the season in dramatic fashion on Saturday night in Denver at Ball Arena. And it's my understanding, Michelle, that the, the myriad Blues fans that were there uh, late in the game when the Blues were up 4-1 to one, were chanting, Cronky sucks, Cronky sucks, Cronky sucks, which is great. I'm proud of him. And I'm sure that he was there, Randy, and I'm sure he was very wounded by those chants. I'm sure that he is such a such a huge avalanche yeah. fan that he was there for their opener. Yeah, I'm And then sure. to have people saying that he sucks. Yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> and who scores what stands up as the winner? Well, it's our guy. David Perron scoring uh, to make it 4-1 to one in the second period, and the Blues win it by a score of 5-3. Made it exciting towards the end, 
by allowing a couple of goals with an empty net for Colorado, but the final score was 5-3. That game was exciting from start to finish, whether it was the end that you just mentioned or Braden Shen enacting some ven- vengeance on Kadri for the fall kit out of the mm-hmm. gate. That was a very entertaining and exciting game, and the Blues are undefeated. What did the coach think? We had a real good first period. Um, I thought we came out, <clears throat> we're on our toes like we talked about, and got a lead. And um, we, you know, we lost, uh, just kind of lost our um, energy a little bit in the second period. And we fed their transition game and kind of got on our heels a little bit. And we didn't play a very good period. And the third period is mixed for me. You know, I think that uh, we got the 4-1 lead, and then you know we have a power play. We we, we have to uh, take a penalty kind of make a bad play there um, you know we kind of get caught and we take a penalty and then it's four and four they pull their goalie and they, you know they they just kind of put us on our heels there for a bit with that four and four situation and they're getting their goalie out but I, I but I thought we were I thought we were in pretty good control of the third period to be honest with you take the two points right absolutely and off and running let's go blues LGB, Randy. They play tonight. You'll hear the action here on 101 ESPN as they're in Phoenix pregame at 8 o'clock. Yesterday in the National Football League, our Dolphins, our Dolphins were in London and at the hands of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who had won, lost 20 in a row, uh, the Dolphins <laughs> lost 23 to 20. They're in a bad spot right now. Are they now. still our Dolphins? Yes, Randy. You can't just jump off the bandwagon because well, they're one and five. Well, we can with this. We jumped on it. No, we didn't jump on it. We had a very methodical approach to choosing a team. There was a vote involved. We didn't just hop on a bandwagon. We took great care in selecting a team. And just because things get a little rocky and just because you maybe lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars and you don't feel great about your quarterback or your team as a whole, you don't just jump up. We've seen worse, Randy. We have lived through 15 and 65. We have, but that was in St. Louis. I mean, you've got a former team of yours that you're, you, you are allowed to like. That is six and zero. Oh. No. Okay. <laughs> Five in a row. We can't jump it. off the bandwagon now, yeah. but we can maybe have one eye trained to another team just in case. When do we pull the plug on this? One uh, year, two years? Are we true I blue don't know fans? If I'm going that long. Because you know what'll happen? We're going to jump off the bandwagon, and that's when and they become great. Right. And we won't be able to play T Pain anymore. I mean, think about that. Do, do, we really want, do we right. want to abandon the Dolphins? We can't play T-Pain if we do that. That's a good point. Okay, I, I accept that. Also yesterday, the Packers beat the Bears 24-14. Packers now 5-1 and one on the season. We'll go through more games as we go along throughout the course of the show. And then the late afternoon game, Cowboys over the Pats by a score of 35-29 to 29 in overtime. But you had all these blowouts, and then the, the big national games are both overtime games. Cowboys over the, the Patriots, and then last night, the Seahawks fall in overtime to the Steelers 23-20 in a really compelling game that I stayed up for the end of. You did. Congratulations. Did. Proud of you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, let's see, Mizzou lost on Saturday. That wasn't great. I was there. I was, it was fun. Was great, it good environment? Great day for football. How did yeah. the south end zone look? It looks fantastic. Good, good. Yeah, they, they've done a great job with that. They just need to get the team playing a little bit mm-hmm. better. Kind of concerned about the defensive coordinator, actually. Which but when you allow 300 yards rushing a game, you're allowed to be concerned about the defense. You definitely should be uh, or are allowed to be, which is so interesting because coming into the season, we thought that that was going to be a move that was going to pay immediate dividends. I was talking to Coach Venturi last week about myriad things. He's doing well, by the way. Good. Always and, glad uh, to hear it. Love RV. Yeah, he's going to actually next Sunday night, Sunday night football. Uh, the, the Colts are on. We'll have to get him on the show. Yeah, we will. But he was just 
I, I said to him, my opinion, I get really bad lovey at Illinois vibes by what's happening with Mizzou. Mm. And he said, hey, this ain't 1999 anymore. You can't run that defense anymore. Yeah. And it's true that that cover two just doesn't work in any level of football. So Mizzou has to be concerned about that. And playing against the big boys just can't do that. Does Jimbo Fisher, by the way, who beat Mizzou on Saturday, wind up as the new coach at LSU? That is a great question. If you're him, is that more desirable than your new position or than your current position at A&M? Well, like A&M, LSU has an endless amount of money to spend. This is the same AD that gave him the contract at A&M when he was the athletic director at A&M. That's now the AD at LSU. And LSU comes to the agreement with Ed Orgeron to not be the head coach anymore. I, and apparently he, he's been at LSU and loves Baton Rouge. Who so, doesn't? It's yeah. an amazing place to be. I, I could certainly see that happening. But if you're Jimbo and you're looking at the position that you're in right now, you have all the leverage in the world to stay at Texas mm-hmm. A&M to where you buy yourself more time. You know you have a program that you've built. If you, if the threat of you leaving is there, you can get more money or get whatever it is you want. And I don't know if I'm if I'm Jimbo, as amazing as Baton Rouge is, and as awesome as it would be to to be the head coach there, especially on a Saturday night at Tiger Stadium. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It's a, an unbelievable place to be. But I'm looking at a son of LSU, a guy who is as LSU as they come, who won a national mm-hmm. championship a year and change ago, being forced out already. That doesn't seem super desirable to me. It depends, I would think, on what Jimbo's ultimate mo- motivation is. Because he's going to get the money either way. Especially if he's going to leave the contract at A&M, it's going to be for equal, right? Yeah, sure. But LSU's last three head coaches, Saban, Miles, Orgeron, have all won national championships there. Last time that Texas A&M won a, won a national championship, I think we have to go back to the 60s, maybe even the 50s, for Texas A&M winning a national championship. So... From that standpoint, if he wants to win a championship and have the best chance, LSU's the place. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and uh, we're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Start one, bench one, cut one on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, we do appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780, and Emily will have your start one, bench one, cut ones for us. Uh, Michelle, though, get things started. What do you got? Okay. Start one, bench one, cut one. Mm -hmm. Managers right now, not throughout their entire career, what manager would you like to have right now? Tony La Russa, Mike Matheny, Mike Schilt. Throughout their career. No, no, not throughout their career. Just right now, based on what they have done recently, this past season, start one, bench one, cut one. I would say that uh, I would start Tony La Russa. I would bench Mike Schilt, and I would cut Mike Matheny. Okay. How about you? Same order. Start TLR, bench Schilt, cut Matheny. Hmm. Okay, good. Uh, All right, Michelle, a high of 70 today. So you've got today a high of 70. Correct. You have a partly cloudy 95-degree day during the summer, or you have the sunny 40-degree day during the winter. Each day, you don't have any precipitation. 
Okay. Sunny in 70, sunny in 95, sunny in 40. So I'm going to do that exact order. I'm starting today, sunny and 70. Yeah, Perfection. Perfect, yeah. A perfect day. I'm going to bench sunny and 95 because summertime and it's warm. Who would ever start sunny and 40? Some people like to wear the jacket. Like some people like San Francisco weather. Not me. Me either. Belo- be- anything below 70 is getting the cut for me. It's cut. <laughs> wow. Winter is stupid. What about what about 67? No, it's out. I'm, uh, on this list, yeah. I, today is like my perfect day. That's yeah. why I asked. Are you going to go golfing today? Yes, you are. You're going to be at the, at the golf tournament. I am. Uh, and then uh, 95 is definitely the, the summer day is the one that I bench and then I'm cutting 40 degrees. Every single time, whether it's raining or not, I'm cutting 40 degrees. No. In fact, give me rain and 70 over sun and 40. The best 40 degree day is still worse than the worst 70 degree day. That makes sense. I agree with you. Yep. All right. Your text 65780. Emily, what do do we have? All right. We got quite a few variations of this one. Uh, The first one came in from Lisa, though. Start one, bench one, cut one. Stubby clap, Ollie Marmol, Matt Holiday for Cardinals next match. Ooh, good one. Um, I am going to All good options. Yeah. I'm going to do... I'm going to take Stubby because he's managed championships at the AAA level. Uh, And then I will go Marmol because I think that he fits the Cardinal mold of what they're looking for Mm -hmm. in a manager. Pliable. And then uh, (laughs) Matt Holiday. I I think that as happy and as fun as Matt Holiday is, I think the way the Cardinals do baseball could make him unhappy. Okay. So you took... Um, a logical approach as to which guy out of these three would be the best Cardinal manager right now. I'm going to take a different approach. I'm starting Matt Holiday because our station has the inside track with Matt Holiday. He's our teammate here. He's a member of the fast lane. So I'm going to start Matt Holiday so that we will get exclusive information right here on 101 ESPN. You would hope we would, but I don't think that happens with this organization anymore. <laughs> but how cool would it be to have the, the manager of the Cardinals somehow still, I mean, I would imagine he would finish out the season in fantasy football. Oh, well, yeah, definitely. So that we're playing fantasy football with Adam Wainwright, the fast lane is playing fantasy football with the manager of the Cardinals. It's just a, be fun. it's a it's good for our station. So I'm going to have Matt Holiday start. By the way, as an aside, congratulations to just the two of us uh, winning our fourth in a row. Yeah. All right, the actual Dolphins not great. Just no. the two of us thriving. Great, <laughs> thriving. Uh, and that was fun to have Adam Wainwright in studio last week and give him trouble about that. It was okay. So then I'm going to bench. Ali Marmol. Okay. And I will cut Stubby Clap, even though I think that he's excellent and would be a great candidate to be the manager. So Michelle that's a doesn't tough like one. Canadians. Michelle doesn't like Canadians. <laughs> what? I love Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Our next one from the 314 start one, bench one, cut one. Philly fans, Tennessee fans, Cubs fans. Uh, I'm definitely starting Cubs fans. Now, we're starting them as in the ones we'd like to hang out with the most or starting them as in the worst? I'm I'm starting them as good fans that yes. I would like to hang out with. I agree. Cubs fans are great. Yeah. We have a 
air quotes rivalry with them. Going to Wrigley Field is amazing. Yeah, it's fun. They're they're very welcoming. They're gonna try to get you to drink their terrible beer. Just smile, say thank you, put it under your seat, and then go get a Bud Light at the at the concession stands. You know, but they they want you to have old style. They want you to feel a part of the moment, which is great. Mm-hmm. But they're not rude. They're not gonna be yelling at you. You can bring your family there. Yeah. Now for Tennessee and Philly, you cannot say the same. No, but I do appreciate the passion of Philly fans, and you know who they are. When you walk through that door, there's a very good chance that they're going to have a battery in their pocket Correct. and throw it out on the field. You know they're going to boo Santa Claus. You know that if they bring a lawn chair, they're going to throw a lawn chair on the field at your team with it as they leave the field. Has happened. So I'm going to bench them, and then I'm going to cut Tennessee fans. If you can't get over... Lane Kiffin leaving. I mean, is it really that big of a loss that Lane Kiffin left? Do you still need to throw things at Lane Kiffin 10 years later? I don't think so. With Philly, you know it's going to happen, but it's almost endearing because they hate their own. They hate themselves, too. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, no one is immune to their wrath. And it's a personality trait at this point. Whereas what you see with Tennessee, it was what you saw over the weekend was just it was unforgivable. It's unexplainable. Like when you're throwing golf balls at the opposing head coach, and yeah. no matter what he did to you, that is so low budget. And when your own cheer squad has to duck under cover to escape their home field, you should be ashamed of yourself. And Lane Kiffin pointed out that it was a dirty range ball too. I mean, <laughs> at least throw a pro V one at the guy, right? Yeah. At least take something, something he could put in his pocket yeah. and go use later. Yeah. No. So I'm, I'm going Cubs fans, Philly fans, Tennessee fans. Next one from the 314. Start one, bench one, cut one for their whole career. Carp, Smoltz, Beckett. I am going to start John Smoltz. I'm going, this is pretty easy for me. I'm going to bench Chris Carpenter and I'm going to cut Josh Beckett, who was really, really good mm-hmm. and really good in the postseason. But I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go Smoltz, who's in the Hall of Fame. Yes. Carpenter and Beckett. Now, you know, logic would tell you to take John Smoltz here to start him, but I'm starting Chris Carpenter. That's my guy. He's my favorite Cardinal of all time. And I don't think I would ever, yeah, John Smoltz is amazing, but based on what I've seen, I want to give Chris Carpenter the ball. If there's a big moment, I want Chris Carpenter going out there. I want, I want that primal scream at the end. I want the the confidence that he brings my ball club, that that fear that he's going to strike into the opponent. So I'm going to start Carp. And by the way, just so that, uh, because you know this, but I want to make sure everybody knows, we adore Carp for his postseason prowess. John Smoltz, 15-4 and four with a 2.67 in his playoff career. Pretty, Pretty awesome. Good. Pretty good. But Pretty he wasn't good. our guy. I get where you're coming yes, from Yes, he was our guy. So I'm going to start Carp. I'm going to bench Smoltz, cut Beckett. From the 618, start one, bench one, cut one. As a fan, watching a final round at Augusta, attending Game 7 of the World Series, or attending the Super Bowl. Now, is it your team in the World Series and your team in the Super Bowl? Because if not, if you're a neutral observer, you've got to go Augusta. You've got to start a final round at Augusta. I would then bench Game 7 of the World Series because of the buildup of drama and anxiety that you have throughout the series. And I'll cut the Super Bowl because as great as the Super Bowl is, you don't really have that same feeling entering a Super Bowl as you do a Game 7. I agree with you 100%. And this isn't to disparage the Super Bowl. But I will say this. Even though the Super Bowl is a bucket list item, Mm -hmm. 
once you go, you've been there. You don't need to go to two Super Bowls. Agreed. You you probably want to go to Augusta again. You probably want to go to Game 7 of the World Series again. Going to the Super Bowl is a hassle. I've been to a Super Bowl, as have you, and I can truly say this. It is a spectacle in person. The NFL does it so big. You know, you've got a concert at halftime. It's mm-hmm. it's amazing. I preferred watching the Super Bowl on my couch than I did being there. And that was as a neutral observer. And it was an unbelievable game. It was the the Patriots Falcons 28 to 3 mm-hmm. comeback. It was an incredible game. But when you're in that massive stadium and you're not hearing the play-by-play, it just does not feel intimate at all. You know, you're you're mm-hmm. part of this massive thing whereas when you're at home, you're getting to hear the play-by-play you're getting to get the analysis. You can go to the bathroom when you want. You can get your your sheet pan nachos whenever you want. It's it's just it's cool to be there, especially if it's your team. But the NFL has just made the product so unbelievable from a television standpoint that I I would much rather go to one of the other two in person. The last two Super Bowl weeks that I've been to, I came home and watched the game on TV. See? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's that's the play. All right. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Coming up, your blues are 1-0 and on the season. What was good? What wasn't so good on Saturday night in Denver? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Bucks go over to the corner. They get it through. Falk shoots. Scott! looks to clear. They get it ahead to Cairo. Now Shins over the line. He drives the net. He scores! Braden Shin! Godry comes over to hit him. Pareko brace for it. The Blues three on three. Perron shoots. Score! What a shot! What a shot! David Perron from the faceoff dot inside the far post. Blues in behind the net. Barbashev to Perron. Score! it into the far corner, and that'll do it. Bring out the Zamboni in Colorado. Blues start the season with a regulation win, 5-3 the final. We started like that mindset of really looking after each other. That's going to win us a lot of games. Great work today, boys. We made a statement out there. Let's keep it going. You heard Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN and then Jake Neighbors and Ryan O'Reilly at the end there as the Blues won their opener Saturday night at Ball Arena in Denver 5-3. David Perron, as you heard, with a couple of goals. Jordan Cairo with a couple of assists. And Michelle, to me, this just had a, a better feel than what we saw last year. I, I don't know why, and I guess coming off of the pandemic and having a full house makes a difference, but it just had a a different, more exciting feel for me. It really did. And yes, you're taking on an avalanche opponent where they're missing Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog. That Mm -hmm. certainly helps. But we knew that that bonding trip to Vail was going to be a positive thing for the Blues, but doesn't it even right out of the gate feels like this team has a little more ease to it and that chemistry is already there, which it's difficult to do that when you're in a bubble or when you're traveling mm-hmm. and you can't really hang out with your teammates. But whether it's it's Shen going out there immediately getting revenge on Kadri for the hit on Falk and then Falk answering with the first goal or the guys 
ribbing David Perron for being a game time decision because of practice and, and calling him an old man. It just seems like this team it really likes one another and has a good connection, which was something we were looking for this season. How early is it going to be for this Blues team to get that chemistry clicking and find an identity? Because at times last season, even towards the end, it felt like that was missing. And many of us forgot that that dirty punk Nazem Kadri had <laughs> knocked Justin Falk out of the playoffs last year, and Kadri did get an eight-game suspension. So 40 seconds into the new season, Braden Shen, who admits he's got the memory of an elephant, he goes after Kadri. Was that planned? Um, you know, I've obviously thought about it um, over the past little while. Um, Falker's a, a hell of a teammate, um, takes care of everyone, and, and we've seen him stick up for, for guys before, um, like he did for Bozak last year in Vegas. So, I don't know, I'm not really looking for any credits, part of the game. And, and uh, you know, this is what this culture's kind of built on, and, and guys before me have done it, and it, it needs to continue in our locker room. And um, it's really just part of the game, that's all. It's part of the old school game. It's not part of the game now. You don't see it a lot. And to see it is great. And Michelle, you talk about bonding trips. Nothing is going to bond a team more than the actions of a guy like Braden Shen. Isn't that a guy that you want on your team? Mm-hmm. That's that's a guy that you want on your team because not only is he skilled, but he's going to protect his teammates. And you're right. What's a better way to bond than by showing everyone on the team, if somebody messes with a member of our team, we're not going to forget it. That's not going to happen while you're wearing the blue note on your sweater. doesn't matter how long it takes, but we will not forget it, and we're going to come after you. Did Justin Falk appreciate it? Uh, yeah, I mean, Chen's obviously a great teammate. Um, he's fits the mold exactly what you want as a teammate. Uh, you couldn't ask for any more from him day in and day out. Um, there's a reason he's a leader on this team, and, uh, you know, those things aren't asked of people, but uh, he's the type of guy that, that'll, that'll do that and take care of his teammates. And Jeremy Rutherford wrote in his piece at The Athletic that if O'Reilly wasn't the captain of this team, Braden Shen would be perfect. Oh, absolutely. That's captain actions right there. It is. Meanwhile, Michelle mentioned to David Perron, he was a game-time decision, and he was asked if he thought he might have to miss this one. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, a little concerned. That's why I took the practice off. Um, I wasn't fully sure after the morning skate either because I I just kind of got out there and moved around. Um, yeah, so we'll see. It's probably going to take a little bit to to feel back to where I want to be, but uh, it's good that I was able to get out there and contribute a little bit. It was a lower body injury. The Blues won by two goals, and he's being humble there because he did contribute more than a little bit. He scored two goals, and they won by two goals. Yeah, if David Perron is scoring two goals and he doesn't feel great, and it's going to take a while for him to feel 100% again, that's a pretty good indication of where he's going to be this season for the Blues. And the Blues really dominated for the first half of the game, and then in the third period, man, it looked like it was going to get away. Joe scores with an empty net at 14-36. Comfer scores with an empty net at 16-18. And then the Blues looked like they had given up the tying goal, but Jost kicked it in, and that was taken away. One thing the Blues are going to have to get better at, Michelle, is that uh, that extra attacker for the opposition. For sure. Uh, there was a lot of other positives from the game, though, Randy. One for me, I really wanted to see what Colton Pareko looked like. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see... At- preseason he looked healthy he, 
all the reports that we got was he was as back to 100% as he possibly could be. And it was great to see him out there looking like Colton Pareko again. And more minutes than in any game that he performed in last year. That was huge. And the balance that we had. All the lines contributed. All the lines looked good. By the way, if you didn't see the Tarasenko numbers, uh, he was a minus one. But he did have four shots on goal. And that was one of the issues that I had with him last year when he was healthy. He would have games where he would have zero or one shots on goal, shot on goal. And he actually was involved with the play and was somewhat noticeable. Which is a good sign. And if he continues that, then he can get himself traded if he performs well enough. It's going to be so interesting to see how this plays out because if he performs well enough, I wonder if then he wants to stay. I wonder if that trades off the table. And I wonder how Doug Armstrong feels about that if he's playing well. It's going to be very interesting to see how this thing develops and if he's still with the team at the end of the season. Yeah. And Pavel Buchnevich in his Blues debut had 18 minutes of ice time. He was a plus two, had an assist in the game. He had three shots on goal, had a couple of hits as well. And he just looks like a player that fits what the Blues are. He he looks like he has that, that grit and that toughness that Craig Berube wants. Which is Great to see, especially after one game, because it took Justin Falk a little bit to really seem like he was going to be the Justin Falk that the Blues wanted. Tory Krug, same deal. It it kind of felt like it took a while for him to be the Tory Krug. Um, a lot of people still might be waiting to see the the peak Tory Krug wearing the the blue note on the sweater. So for Buchnevich to come out and look like he fits right away is awesome. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and we have Blues hockey again tonight here on 101 ESPN pregame at eight as they take on the Arizona Coyotes and. And don't forget this. You can join Jamie Rivers, Donnie Fandango, and Jeff Burton for a very special and uncensored live last-minute blues podcast with Brett Hull. It's next Saturday afternoon at Brett Hull's Junction House in Wentzville. Join Jamie, Donnie, and Jeff, and they're going to sit down with Hully for a live conversation and a Q&A on stage. Get there early at 2 o'clock to grab a seat and get entered to win an awesome uh, blues giveaway. Plus, enjoy the signature cocktail menu and the wide variety of menu items at Junction House. A live and uncensored last-minute blues podcast with Brett Hull starts at 3 next Saturday. Get all the details now at 101ESPN.com. Next up, get your text into the air. Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is our Air Comfort Service text line. Carriker and Smallman with you, and it's time for Take It or Leave It, and we want to hear from you. Michelle, a lot of discussion over the course of the last four or five days about Mike Schilt and why he was fired by the Cardinals. And by the way, he's going to talk about his dismissal later this morning at 11 o'clock. He's going to have a get-together with the media via Zoom. But Take It or Leave It, from what you have heard and understand, you believe like I do, that Mike Schilt cared too much about winning. I'll take that. Or at least cared in a way that was different than the front office. Mm -hmm. Cared as far as the path to winning and was very steadfast in his Uh, beliefs. And voiced his opinions about it. Correct. I'm going to take that too. Yeah. But Mo said in his Zoom that this wasn't about the win-loss record. That's the thing. And it really bothers me. He says this wasn't about the win-loss record. It was something higher than that. 
in sports, there is nothing higher than the win-loss record, in my opinion. It, that's uh, Dick Vermeil always said, the main thing is the main thing. Winning is what it's all about. There is nothing higher. If, if you're winning, and maybe they didn't, I hope they didn't think they were winning enough. I hope they expected to win the World Series right. this year. But if you're in sports, there is nothing higher than winning. And Mo did say that, that this isn't about the one-loss record. It's about something higher than that. Nothing higher than that. You play to win the game. Thank you. That's all, right? Yep. You don't play to feel good about your approach. Whatever approach works is the approach that you take. Yeah, win with that. Win with whatever gets you there. Okay, Randy, speaking of Mike Schilt, let's look down the path, okay? Let's envision a scenario. We know that Mike Schilt is in contention to potentially be the manager for the San Diego Padres, right? Take it or leave it. Mike Schilt will beat the Cardinals as the manager of the Padres in the postseason. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. And my guess would be, and I don't know what happened in June here. I have no idea. It was a weird month. My guess would be that if Mike Schilt goes to A.J. Preller and says, I need X player for my team, not a type of player for my team, a position for my team, that A.J. Preller will be uber aggressive in attempting to get that player. Imagine how you would feel as a Cardinal fan if it's Mike Schilt and he leads the Padres to beat the Cardinals in the playoffs. I was thinking about that over the weekend. Well, and I feel bad for the next guy, but because whether then the next guy is the manager or not, the perception is going to be that the front office is doing everything. By the way, it's working for the Dodgers, right? But the Dodgers are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on international scouting, and they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on players so that they have everything set up so that you can say, play player X, and it works for them. The Cardinals are if they're going to win a World Series, they're going to need to do that. And no, this is no shade and no disrespect to Mike Schilt and or Mike Matheny. But when John Mozeliak appoints both of them to be the manager and it's his pick, aren't you assuming that the front office is running things yes. anyway? So I don't think that that's really any different than the two previous regimes. I believe that there are probably two, right off the top of my head, two managers that aren't pliable with front office leadership in Major League Baseball right now. Tony LaRusso and Dusty Baker? Oh, three. Three. Who's the other one? Terry Francona. Oh, yeah. Good call. Emily, what do you got for us? From the 636, take it or leave it, the Cowboys are serious Super Bowl contenders. Got to take it. They're we playing have to well. take it. They're playing well. I don't know if they're going to beat the Packers. But uh, they're they're playing well. Got to give them credit. They're going to win their. I think they may have already clinched their division. <laughs> As we like to say, they're in the conversation. Yeah, they have five wins. They're five and one. The rest of their division has five wins. Yeah, not great. From the three one four, take it or leave it. Luther Burden announces he's playing for Mizzou tomorrow. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave it too. How could you pass up Georgia? Yeah, uh, unless you want to be sure that you're going to play. Yeah. Or you feel very, um, it's very important to you to stay home. Yeah. That's going to be the number one thing on the list. Yep. And you can change the outlook of a, a program. Jeremy Macklin did that. DGB did that. There were guys, Sheldon Richardson did that, one of the uh, highest recruited players in the country. If you want to change the fortunes or enhance the fortunes of your quote-unquote homeschool then that's a thing to do. Michael Porter Jr. didn't even play, and he turned Mizzou into a national story. Right. 
from the 314, take it or leave it. John Harbaugh is the most underrated coach in football. Yeah, I'm going to take that. Is he underrated, though? But we never talk about who are the best coaches in the NFL. Well, Belichick, and you really have to like uh, what uh, Mike Tomlin does. Does Harbaugh even wind up in the conversation as best coach in the league? When he every year he's got injuries and every year he's got new players and every year he wins. You know, that's actually a great point because we like the shiny new toy. So yeah. it's a Kyle Shanahan. It's a Sean McVay. I would throw Pete Carroll in that conversation, too. That Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Um, well, I, th- I would throw Pete Carroll in the John Harbaugh conversation. Yeah, right. Yeah. That he gets overlooked a lot because he's had consistent success. And because he hasn't won as many Super Bowls as Belichick, he doesn't get put in that conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like Harbaugh, Tomlin, and Carroll are in their own little side conversation of great but consistent coaches that don't get enough love because we like to talk about the shiny new toy, whoever that may be. Right. The other thing, ab- among multiple things that I really like about John Harbaugh, is that he was willing to adapt his system to the talents of his players, specifically Lamar Jackson. A lot of coaches say, this is my system and I'm going to play the system and I need to get players that fit my system. He gets good players and then builds a system around them. Mm-hmm. From the 618, take it or leave it, Georgia, Alabama, Cincinnati, and Ohio State will make the 2021 college football playoffs. Leave it. Which one's out? Cincinnati's not going. There's no way a group of five team gets the money from the Power Five to participate in the Final Four. I I wish Cincinnati could do it, but even if they finish undefeated, that group of people in the room is not going to put them in the top four. They'll never pick them? No. Do you think that it's more because they they were looking at, because I, I always look at it this way, they're looking for a team that's in the conversation that will draw eyeballs, that will be great from a marketing perspective. Do they think that Cincinnati, I mean, yes, they don't want to give the money away, yeah. but are they also thinking that maybe from a national perspective, it's not a sexy enough team to be in the final four no because i think once you get to the final four actually the level of intrigue for a cincinnati would be really high people would want to see if that team could play with the big boys i really think that it's a matter of greed that the the power five they don't want to share money it's kind of like the nfl owners the reason they aren't going to expand is because they don't want to share money with two more franchises so georgia alabama oklahoma and ohio state's going to find their way back in there yeah i could see it from the 636, take it or leave it. The Cardinals announce the new manager by tomorrow evening. Leave it. I'll leave that. I say by November. Yeah, I would think so, too. I would think that soon after Halloween, rather than mid-November, soon after the World Series, they'll have their guy. And by the way, when when last week they went to baseball to allow them to announce the Schilt move, Baseball doesn't like teams to announce moves during the postseason because they feel like it takes away from the the excitement of the postseason. So the Cardinals won't do that after already having been given one exemption to fire Mike Schilt. That's a great point. From the 314, take it or leave it, you'd take Lamar Jackson over any other quarterback in football. I still think I'd have pick Mahomes. Yeah, I'm going to leave it too. And one of the reasons is because... I do think that Lamar Jackson has a special coach and coaching staff. I don't think every coach and coaching staff could get the most out of him like Harbaugh's staff does. But 
Patrick Mahomes, you just draw plays and say, okay, drop back and throw it. Right. Aaron Rodgers, too. I'd yeah. probably still pick over Mahomes. Yeah. But or, that's excuse why. Me, over Jackson. Yeah, over Jackson. Yeah, sorry. But yeah, if I have Roman as my offensive coordinator and Harbaugh as my head coach, then I would go with him because there's no other dual threat like him. He's electric. From the 314, take it or leave it. With all the miles on Max Scherzer's arm, the Cardinals should stay away. You know, I'm going to take that as much as I love him for the price. It, it does make me a little nervous. The age, the price, and looking at, and and granted, he's gone on short rest. Mm-hmm. So, so you have to keep that in mind. It's not a lack of skill. He has a dead arm. He said it last night. But there are a lot of miles on him, and you're spending... You're you're spending Bentley price for a car that has has seen a lot of days, you but know, throwing a lot of pitches. Here's the thing, Michelle. The Cardinal said that seven years ago about him. <laughs> Gosh, that is so true. And how many times have we said that about Adam Wainwright? Right, Gosh, right. you're so right. Can you believe that same narrative still exists that it did seven years ago on both those yeah, guys? And here they are. A lot of miles on those arms. Yeah, you're yeah. so right. God. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take my chances. Because I think he's less of a question mark than Wayno, because Wayno did have a lot of injuries before the last couple of years. Uh, Flaherty with his injuries this year. Michaelis with his injuries. Uh, Alex Reyes uh, with what he's dealt with. I, I think that there's just concern with all of the Cardinals starters, and they've all been injured more recently than Scherzer has. From the 636, take it or leave it, Corey Seager is a Cardinal next year. I'm going to leave it. I'll leave it, too. Yeah. It's- too much money. Yeah, too much money, and I think they'll spend their money elsewhere. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. A lot going on with the Cardinals. We'll give you our opinions. I haven't had a chance to give you my opinion of the firing yet. So uh, we'll give you that and more coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's 8.05 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And uh, it is time for today's Fresh Take. And Michelle, we got the word on Thursday afternoon that the Cardinals had relieved Mike Schilt of his duties. They called it uh, an ending of the partnership. He got fired. They, they, They fired him. And the more I think about this over the course of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, unless you expected him to win the World Series with the group of players that he had this year, I don't think that there was a good reason to fire him. Now, obviously, there was a philosophical difference, mm-hmm. but those should be overcome. And you draw three million fans a year. People are paying a lot of money. People are watching on TV. You are in the entertainment business. If there is a philosophical difference about baseball, then we should know what that philosophical difference is. I don't see, as I try to look at this from every angle that I can, a good reason for the Cardinals to have fired Mike Schilt on the heels 
of the 17-game winning streak on the heels of winning 90 games despite the fact that for uh, a good portion of the season, 80% of his starting rotation was out. He had Wainwright in June. Flaherty was hurt. Michaelis was still out. Carlos Martinez got hurt. Mm -hmm. You're trying to throw out John Gant and Johan Oviedo who are walking the world and you're trying to win games. And then at the deadline, gets veteran players and they perform for him and they wind up winning 90 games. I'm not saying that Mike Schilt is Whitey Herzog or Tony La Russa. I don't know. But I do think this, that he deserved a better opportunity. And what scares me about what has happened is that and this isn't it's happening all over baseball. This isn't unique to the Cardinals. But we're getting away from what the Cardinals were under people like George Kissel in the minor league system that Joe Torre and Andy Van Slyke and uh, Bobby Cox rave about and Tony La Russa. We're getting away from that baseball so that egos can be stroked in the front office as those people take charge of an organization. Yeah, the manager or the managerial position is losing more and more power because of the front office and more importantly, because of the analytical approach that a lot of organizations are taking. Decisions are being taken out of the hands of managers and they're essentially being given the playbook and they're saying, this is the decision you're going to make when this this situation arises because this is what the outcome is going to be. A lot of the thinking has been removed from the managerial position based on the outcome, right? And it seems like if you're a manager that has an old school lean or an old school approach and you don't want to go with what the outcome says or the algorithm says, or if you don't want to go with what the front office is telling you, then you're going to find yourself without a job. And I don't know if that's exactly what happened here, but it does seem like if they're talking about philosophical differences between the front office and the manager, you would think that at least analytics played a little bit of a role in that philosophical mm-hmm. difference. And I'm with you. I've thought about this so much over the weekend. I've, I've read anything I could possibly get my hands on. Katie Wu had some amazing things. Derek Gould, of course, had had great coverage at STL Today. And... You know, when, I, when I'm reading quotes from Yadier Molina over the weekend saying that this took him by surprise and that he had a lot of confidence with Schilt and they had good communication and he can't give you reasons as to why this happens. But from inside the clubhouse, there wasn't any sort of problems. And if you're looking at the record and, and John Mozalek is saying this wasn't about wins and losses and it's not about his relationships with the players or it's not about what was transpiring on the field, it really just seems like it boils down to a difference in approach between the front office and Mike Schilt. And my hope would be, and we we referenced this earlier, that the philosophical differences don't come down to Mike Schilt wanting to win too much and voicing his opinions about wanting to win too much. But Michelle, when you think about the personnel, Tony La Russa always voiced his opinions about personnel, whether it was getting Matt Holliday or getting rid of Colby Rasmus. I'm sure that the Cardinals, for the first few years of his career as a general manager, that John Mozeliak said, well, I'm the general manager. Why don't I get to run this? Because Tony was in charge. And I'm sure he wants to run it. But I think there has to be some sort of a partnership. And it can't be just one person. And if it was a difference of philosophy because 
the manager was asking for personnel. Well, shame on the franchise. That shouldn't be a difference in philosophy. You can go to explain to the manager if he's asking for personnel. Look, we just can't do this right now. I want to. I want to help you, but I can't. And I, I don't know if Mike Schilt would... I don't see it in his DNA to be a guy that's going to curse somebody out because he didn't get what he wanted. No, I can't really see that either. But again, we don't know what happens behind closed doors, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know what those conversations looks like. But clearly, there was enough of a disconnect that the that the Cardinals felt like they had to ask the league for special yeah. permission to make this move so quickly. And I think that's the thing that I still can't quite comprehend is why the sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Because normally, when you see the the plug pulled this quickly and you don't wait till after the postseason, you're thinking, oh, there's a scandal, or you know, there there was some major blow up or something major that I'm thinking it's a Bud Norris, Jordan Hicks type situation, you know, where you have to act immediately. And it doesn't seem like that's the case. It really does seem like everything that is being indicated is just a difference in philosophy as was shared with the media and the fans. And I'm just kind of wondering why the urgency? Maybe they did, in fact, want Mike Chilt to have every opportunity to get a job elsewhere, and they wanted to give him as much time as possible to be out on the market mm-hmm. and to interview with other clubs. Maybe. But it just still seems like they acted so quickly when it doesn't seem like there was something that really popped off. And, and maybe it was those end-of-staff meetings that were held a week, two weeks ago that really force them to make this decision sooner rather than later, but it just seems like a very, very quick move. And I would be very, very troubled if that move was made because Jeff Albert and his philosophy are so important to the organization. Again, Mosellock said that the, any disconnect between Schilt and Albert wasn't a factor. If it was, then we've got real problems as fans because that philosophy doesn't work. It, it, they only started hitting when Tommy Edmond said, we aren't making any adjustments in the dugout. We've got to change things. And before that game, Mike Shilton said, we're getting too caught up in slugging and not enough in OPS or in on base. Things changed after that, apparently, when they started going away from what Jeff Albert was preaching. If Jeff Albert is the reason that the Cardinals are making moves, then we as fans have real problems. And I guess that's still, too, where I'm a little bit confused because I know that the Cardinals are very committed to Jeff Albert, and this isn't just something that's happening at the major league level. This is something he has implemented throughout the entire organization. So there's a lot of tentacles that he had, a lot of roots that he has put down throughout the organization. And I understand that you might be a little apprehensive to pull the plug on that because you're you're undoing a lot of threads throughout the entire organization. But this is also somebody in Mike Schilt that if you're a John Mozeliak, you handpicked. This is someone who's been with the organization for eight years. This is someone that understands the importance of winning and the tradition and the great care it takes to be the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. This is somebody who really relies on defense as an important foundation. Mm-hmm. Things that that in St. Louis really matter. And he seemingly represented the organization very well. And if that all comes down to the fact that he won't lean into analytics as much as you'd like, despite what he's given you on the field. It just, 
I don't know. I always think that in any organization, whether it's in, in business and in sports, whatever, you should have some dissenting opinions. Yep. I know that it's great to have everyone pulling the rope the same way and you want autonomy to some degree. But having a healthy conflict or debate over some things could lead you to a better outcome. There isn't just one way of winning or one way of coming to a solution. And I know that if tension arises, you don't want that to happen. But it does make me a little nervous to think that everybody involved in this operation is only looking at something through one lens. You should be looking at things from a bunch of different angles. And if you have people running scared because the last guy who voiced his opinion got fired, then you've got problems as well, because then all of that creative tension that you're talking about goes out the window. Derek Gould had a great piece yesterday at stltoday.com. We recommend that you read it, but I thought the last line was notable and salient. He wrote, the Cardinals have a successful team, believe they have a strong culture, and the front office chose to make a significant, sudden change. It better work. They better win. And he's right on there. Because if it doesn't, if you go backwards, if you do anything but go forward, play in the NLCS next year, then this was a failure. Big time, especially if Mike Schilt goes on to be a manager of a team that has success. Where do the Cardinals go from here? And who are some of the names that intrigue Michelle and Randy? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Cardinals say that they're going to start the search for a new manager and Michelle my speculation is that that search will not go very far from the Cardinal dugout I have every reason to believe and I think we all should that it's either going to be Oliver Marmol or Stubby Clapp simply because John Mozeliak said that the same staff is going to return he wants to extend the coaches that aren't under contract that were already here for next year the only other possibility I would think would be Skip Schumacher, who understands the Cardinal way and I'm sure knows some of the people in the organization, like Marmol, and uh, he, he played with Stubby Clap for a while and knows Pop Warner. I don't know if he knows Mike Maddox, but you aren't going to bring in many people that are worthy of being winning major league managers that are going to say, yeah, I'll take your entire staff. I don't want to hire any of my own guys. Mm-hmm. So I have to believe it's going to be somebody that, A, knows the people that are already on the staff, and B, the Cardinals know, are amenable to what they want from the front office. And John Mozeliak, as vague and at oftentimes cryptic as he was during that Zoom announcing that they were moving on from Mike Schultz, did make a few points very clear and one of them that he reiterated several times was that they very much like some internal candidates and I would think that if they're moving with a quickness to make this move even if they do interview some external candidates and get a viewpoint of the outside of who might be available and what those candidates might think of their club I would imagine you don't make this move the way that you made it, if you don't have a pretty good sense of who you would like to occupy that seat. And there were a lot of people, by the way, a lot of fans who down the stretch in 2018, when Schilt was the interim, wanted Stubby Clapp to be the manager. Didn't want the Cardinals to lose Stubby Clapp because he did win the back-to-back championships in AAA. He's 
obviously succeeded as a manager. He has managed a lot of the young players on this team. I don't know what level of respect, because none of us are in there, that he has from the veterans like Arenado, Goldschmidt, Molina, Wainwright. None of us know that. But that's something that a new manager, somebody who's never done it before, would have to earn. I I would be absolutely stunned if the Cardinals would go after one of the established managers who walks in with credibility, like Bruce Bochy or, or Buck Showalter. I just don't see, or Ron Washington, I don't see the Cardinals going after those guys because I get the sense that this front office specifically John Mozeliak, wants somebody that's more pliable. And by the way, Dave Roberts, even though he won the World Series last year, he's still pliable. When they started Knable the other night in Game 1, he said, hey, that's a a move that goes to the very tippy-top of our organization, and I only have one vote. So it's not like it doesn't work if you have the right group of players, but... I would think that for the Cardinals, as they stand right now on October 18th of 2021, they aren't going to get a veteran guy. Mo's already been there, done that with Tony. And I don't think that's happening again. But imagine how frustrating that is as a manager to know that you only have one vote, that you can't make this decision, that you have to gather the council together and raise the paddle, yes or no, that you don't have the final say in decisions that normally a manager should be able to make. Yeah, it's got to be frustrating, but this is Moneyball. We saw it yeah. in, in the movie, right? This is This is the way that things have trended. I would imagine, too, that if... The philosophical differences are what led them to make this move with Mike Schilt. They need to make sure that the person that they are hiring is 100% on board Mm -hmm. with exactly the approach that they want to take. And if you have candidates in-house, whether it be Ali Marmol or Stubby Clef, you've watched them in action for a while. You know where their, their mindset is when it comes to analytics or a certain offensive approach. You've seen the way that they've implemented those things or reacted to those things. And I would would imagine too to your point about not wanting to bring in an old school manager why would you want to bring in somebody that you aren't sure is going to be 100 percent on board with what you're trying to implement mm-hmm. and what's going to be the future path of this organization and oh by the way if you're going to try to build that way and be a true analytically driven organization like the rays or the giants You can't have a Justin Williams on your team. You can't have a Matt Carpenter on your team. You can't have a Paul DeYoung on your team. Everybody on your team, if you're going to do it that way, has to be able to play. And one of the things that the Giants did great was they were able to platoon because everybody on their roster could play or pitch. Same thing with the Rays. And they do a magnificent job of getting other organizations like Randy Rosarena, uh, overlooked players and getting them to play. It's another thing about if you're going to be good analytically, that the Giants do, that the Dodgers do, that the Rays do, is recognizing other teams' overlooked talent. The Cardinals overlook their own talent. They don't overlook. Uh, they aren't going out and finding other teams' overlooked talent. They they got to be able to recognize their own. They have no chance right now with the way they evaluate talent of being like the Giants or the Dodgers or the Rays. They they aren't going out and finding a Rosarenas. They aren't going out and finding Mike Yastrzemski's or Alec Dickerson's. Let alone. Uh, Kevin Gossman's in the starting rotation or or, or Alex Wood. They, they aren't getting those guys, and they need to get those guys. If you're going to do it that way, you have to give your manager every single player uh, that can play. 
And also, didn't we learn from the Rays that, yes, analytics can be very valuable in getting you to a certain position, but that you don't listen to the computer when they tell you to pull Blake Snell in the sixth inning of Game 6 of the World Series, that sometimes you have to trust your eyes and your feel for the game and go against the analytics? That didn't we, did we learn nothing through that situation, that there has to be a balance between the two for you to have success? Sometimes you have to throw analytics out the window? Mike Schilt didn't say it like Tony did. Tony said it every day. They're men, not machines. But Mike Schilt, Joe Torre said, hey, the game has a heartbeat. Same thing. These are people. And I do get the sense that there is a belief with the numbers of people in the Cardinal front office that they're dealing with machines. And Jeff Albert is basically a guy who builds machines. I don't think that... They understand that the sport has a heartbeat or that they are men, not machines. I shouldn't say they don't understand. They don't want to believe that. They want a machine, and it just doesn't work that way. You can't turn Justin Williams into a baseball player. It's a, like Mo said, at some point, you got to hit the ball. You, some players, you just can't turn into players, and it just doesn't work that way. So I hope that the Cardinals, whoever they have as manager, if they want to take this approach, I hope they have a bunch of guys that can play. How can you quantify some of the things from a computer that Yadier Molina has brought to your organization. How can you quantify how important Adam Wainwright has been? All the numbers would lead you to believe that where Adam, Adam Wainwright is right now was impossible. No one could have ever predicted this. And a lot of the stuff that has made the Cardinals successful in the past has been intensity and has been competitive nature and has been heart. Yes, they've had amazing players, but stuff like that you can't get from a computer. And I, I reread Tony LaRusso's book recently, Three Nights in August, and he talked so much about how he looked for certain qualities in the people that he managed, that he wanted certain type of people to be in his clubhouse and in the dugout. And that's really important, too. It's, it's not the end-all, be-all. Just like the numbers aren't the end-all, be-all. There has to be a blend of both. How would you like to just boil this down into one 10-second point? Okay? Let's do it. Chris Carpenter no longer works for the Cardinals. He's a member of the Angels organization. Is there a way that your organization is better with Chris Carpenter being with another organization? I would say no. 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 And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about men. And they're talking about machines. And Chris Carpenter was a big advocate of using the mind. Mark McGuire, too, using the mind and using your own intensity and using your head. And now uh, they they apparently want machines. And the fact that Chris Carpenter was allowed to walk to the Angels is criminal. From a sports standpoint, it's a crime that he is not a member of the Cardinal organization. And isn't that something that is so special about the Cardinals is they have all of these amazing players who, whether they're Hall of Famers or have won championships. He's a Cardinal with Hall the of Famer? T- yeah, he's a Cardinal Hall of Famer. He has a red jacket, exactly, that are there in the organization as a resource for these players. I mean, how many times have we heard Jack Flaherty talk about the fact that being able to speak to Bob Gibson and Chris Carpenter and have those two people mentor him, what that has meant to him and how, how rare that is that he was able to have two great pitchers like that within the walls of the organization be available to him. That's part of the reason why it's special to be a member of the St. Louis Cardinals organization is because you have access to people like Chris Carpenter. So bottom line, you better win.
That's that's as bottom line as you can get. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got the fight. I'm back for the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's 8.35 on this Monday morning here on Carriker and Smallman. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Randy Carriker is back in his first fight in his return from a staycation. He's going to be taking on Phil this morning. Good morning, Phil. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? Are you ready to take on Randy this morning? Well... Not really, but let's give it our best shot. All right, Phil. I know I, I got word that you texted in last week and you weren't able to jump on the fight because we already had a fighter and that you said you wanted Randy anyway. And Randy was out last week. Are you still feeling confident about that statement? Sure, sure. Let's, uh, I mean, let's go down swinging, you know. <laughs> okay, well, good luck to you, Phil. Question number one. Happy 82nd birthday to college and pro football Hall of Famer Mike Ditka. Iron Mike was the head coach of the Chicago Bears for 11 seasons before going on to become the head coach of which NFL team? Is it the Dallas Cowboys, the Philadelphia Eagles, or the New Orleans Saints? I'm going New Orleans Saints. Happy 46th birthday to Red Sox manager Alex Cora. Cora is a three-time World Series champion, twice as a coach, and once as a player. Who did Cora win the World Series with as a player? Was it the Boston Red Sox, the Houston Astros, or the New York Mets? Oh, boy. Let's go with Houston. Question number three for you, Phil. Who is the only player to have six hits in a a game for the Cardinals in the 21st century? Who is the only player to have six hits in a game for the Cardinals in the 21st century? Is it Albert Pujol, Skip Schumacher, or Matt Adams? Let's go with our next manager, Skip Schumacher. (laughs) I like that. And who is the only player in Cardinals history to have won the Hank Aaron Award, introduced in 1999 to honor the best offensive performer in each league? Is it Paul Goldschmidt, Jim Edmonds, or Albert Pujols? So let's hear the question one more time. Sorry. Absolutely. Who is the only player in Cardinals history to have won the Hank Aaron Award? It was introduced in 1999 to honor the best offensive performer in each league. Okay. Uh, Albert. Okay, let's check our score here. Wave Randy in. Oh, he's not in the hall. Oh, yes, he is in the hallway. Couldn't see him. He was chit-chatting. Coming just hiding. On Phil, do you feel good about your performance? Absolutely not, but I'm going to take some swings at Randy anyway. Okay, well, you should feel better than you do right now. I'm just going to tell you. Randy, say good morning to Phil, who did not want to fight last week because you were out. He wanted to take on the champ. Good for Phil. Hey, Hi, Randy, Phil. How thanks. you doing? Hey, Randy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Oh. <laughs> good to have you with us. He randied you. That's a good thing. I like that. He listens every well, day. Appreciate that. Yeah, and you've been gone so long, I just didn't know if you're still in charge of the show or not. No, I'm not. I'm kind of like Mike Schultz. 
Randy. No, you're back. <laughs> it's true. You're back. All right, Randy, are you ready? Ready. Are you going to shake the rust off after a week on vacation? I hope so. Okay, here we go. Question number one. Happy 82nd birthday to college and pro football Hall of Famer Mike Ditka. Iron Mike was the head coach of the Chicago Bears for 11 seasons before going on to become the head coach of which NFL team? He uh, traded his entire draft, the entire New Orleans Saints draft, for Ricky Williams. He went on to uh, coach the Saints. Happy 46th birthday to Red Sox manager Alex Cora. Cora is a three-time World Series champion, twice as a coach, and once as a player. Who did Cora win the World Series with as a player? Alex Cora as a player. So he was with the Dodgers. And then... um, I think I know this, but I'm going to uh, do the lifeline here. Sure. Uh, your options are Boston Red Sox, Houston Astros, New York Mets. I was thinking Boston, so I will go with the 2007 Red Sox. Randy, who is the only player to have six hits in a game for the Cardinals in the 21st century? So that's like since the start of this past century, six hits in a game for the Cardinals. Um... I should remember this better than I do, and I've already used my lifeline. So um, let me think about this for a moment. So this is since 2000, correct? Um, Six hits in a game. I will... I'm thinking leadoff hitter. Um, This is going to bother me, I know, when I hear it, but I'm going to go Vina. And who is the only player in Cardinals history to have won the Hank Aaron Award, introduced in 1999 to honor the best offensive performer in each league? Logic would dictate that if it was introduced in 1999, that the only guy that could do that is Albert Pujols. So I'm going to go with him. A little drama on this Monday morning because Randy and Phil have tied. You guys both got three correct. You both did very well this morning, which means we are headed to a tiebreaker. Phil, here is how this is going to work. I'm going to read the question. Randy's going to write down his answer on his Edward Jones (laughs) sheet of paper there. Found a bunch more during my vacation. Did you just take one every single game and stockpile them? I must have, yeah. That was a smart move because I love those pads. Hate the Rams. Love those pads. But Phil, Randy's... We love Edward Jones. Yes, we do. Very good. Very good call. Um, And it's a collector's item at this point. Randy's going to write down his answer. We're going to give you first crack at it. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Randy will reveal what he wrote down after you give your answer. Phil, are you ready? I'm ready. Randy, are you ready? I'm ready. Here is your tiebreaker question, gentlemen. How many career points does Brandon Saad have in the playoffs? How many career points does Brandon Saad have in the playoffs? Phil, you're up first, so whenever you're ready, sir. And Randy has written this down. Randy has shown me his answer. I have recorded it, yes. Well, I'm going to go 101 just because I'm a 101. All right, that's pretty Pretty good guess. Randy, your guess is? I went with 30. Phil went with 101. Randy went with 30. Who's the victor? Emily, let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. You took him to the tiebreaker, Phil, but Megamind is back. 
And he is back. Uh, he is with back. A win. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a tough one. And I told you this was going to be tough. And I have a feeling you just asked me a hockey question for the uh, <laughs> tiebreaker. Well, I knew if I went into hockey, I'm I'm dead. Oh, well, you did great, though. I'd have to know who Brian Sod is, first off. Bra- Brandon Sod. Brandon, Brandon Sod. Sod. <laughs> told you. There you go. Pretty good guess, though, if you didn't know who he was. All right, so let's reveal our answers. Mike Ditka, head coach of the Chicago Bears for 11 seasons, and then he went on to become the head coach of the New Orleans Saints from 1997 through 1999. Alex Cora won the World Series as a player with the Boston Red Sox in 2007. Now, Randy. Phil got this one correct. I was thinking about the 20-inning game. I forgot about that, yeah. The only player to have six hits in a game for the Cardinals in the 21st century is Skip Schumacher. It was July 26th, 2008, versus the Mets, 14-inning game. 14-inning game, okay. 14-inning game. Now, the only Cardinal in history to have won the Hank Aaron Award, which was introduced in 1999 to honor the best offensive performer in each league, is Albert Pujols. He actually won it twice, 2003 and 2009. The tiebreaker question, how many career points does Brandon Saad have in the playoffs? Phil guessed 101. Randy guessed 30. The correct answer, guys, is 50. Brandon Saad Hmm. has 50 career points in the playoffs, 25 goals and 25 assists. Phil Excellent fight. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing, and have a great week. You guys, too. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on 101 ESPN. Hey, don't forget the Blues. Oh, we have one thing that we need to play here, right? Let's do it. Just win, baby. Oh, Randy. What? I thought that you forgot. Well, I wouldn't forget that. He's officially back. The Blues Bud Light 14th Street Party presented by 101 ESPN is happening Saturday outside Enterprise Center. Fans with or without tickets for the home opener that night are invited to join in on the pregame fun on Saturday afternoon. Enjoy live music from the Steve Ewing Band, hear from Blues broadcasters, and have the chance to win Blues prizes throughout the day, plus Bud Light happy hour pricing, local food, trucks, appearances by Louie and Barkley, and more. The Blues Bud Light 14th Street Party this Saturday starting at 2. Get details now at 101 ESPN. Week six in the NFL already, and it's time for Four Downs coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, it is time for for week six in the NFL. First down. Michelle, October 20th, 1974, I was 12, and I remember the St. Louis football Cardinals going to Houston and improving to 6-0 and with a 31-27 win over the Oilers. Jim Hart hit Earl Thomas with a couple of second-quarter touchdown passes. The Big Red ran the ball 45 times for 211 yards, and St. Louis improved to 6-0 and for the first time since 1922 when they were the Chicago Cardinals. Yesterday, Arizona joined Chicago and St. Louis with a 37-14 route of the Browns in Cleveland that lifted them to 6-0 on the season. Kyler Murray became the first Cardinal quarterback with four touchdowns and no interceptions since Kurt Warner in 2009. The Cardinals were missing two coaches, head coach Cliff Kingsbury and quarterback coach Cam Turner and three players with COVID. Outside linebacker Chandler Jones, defensive lineman Corey Peters, and defensive lineman Zach Allen due to COVID protocols. But 
for the first time since 1974. The Cardinals are the only undefeated team in the league. By the way, the 1974 Cardinals got to 7-0 and mm. before losing to Dallas. Let's see if the Arizona Cardinals can get to 7-0 and next week. They're the most entertaining team in the league, in my opinion. And their quarterback is the real deal in Kyler Murray. He's great. He's great. And I kind of wish we would have picked the Cardinals over the Dolphins as our team. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Who knew? I don't know. We should we should have looked at Kyler. We should have looked at Tua. And now they have J.J. Watt. And J- yeah, DeAndre. I mean, we we really got, I think, seduced by the aqua and orange. We got seduced by the Mi- oh. Miami scene. We oh. got seduced by T-Pain. And Dan Marino. And, of course, Dan. Dan the man. I mean... But this was a collective choice. It was. It, it was, wasn't just us. It, it was, no, it, it was team character and Smallman, no doubt about it. You know, the Rams were terrible when we were cheering for them. Now the Dolphins are terrible. Maybe it's us. That's a possibility. Maybe it's us. I don't know. Second down. Randy, I want to talk a little bit about Aaron Rodgers and his goodbye tour for the Green Bay Packers. He played what's likely his final game in Chicago over the weekend, and he talked about after the game how much he loves playing at Soldier Field. And if you're a Bears fan, Aaron Rodgers has tormented you. He has absolutely made your life miserable. You hate Aaron Rodgers. You think he's a terrible person. So naturally, if you're a woman in the stands and Aaron Rodgers looks your way, you're going to flip him the double bird. Sure. Bad decision. You don't anger Aaron Rodgers. You don't give him any in-game bulletin board material. This is a person, when we talk about Braden Shen having the memory of, the, of an elephant, Aaron Rodgers will never forget, and he will use everything against you. So he gets a game-sealing touchdown that he runs in in the final minutes of the Packers' 24-14 win over the Bears, and like I mentioned, likely his final game at Soldier Field. And what does he do? He gestures to the crowd, and he screams, I still own you. I bleeping own you. And he's absolutely right. He owns the Bears at, at Soldier Field, in Chicago. The Packers are 11 and 3 in games that Aaron Rodgers has started in Chicago. And if you're a Bears fan, you're probably feeling very good that this is the last time you're going to see Aaron Rodgers run through Chicago. Yeah. At least as a member of the Packers. You never know where he's going to end up, but gosh. And if, he, if you're Aaron Rodgers and this is your last game at Soldier Field, pretty fun way for you to go out. Yeah, that's it's pretty cool. And I think there is at least a level of mutual respect. Uh, There was that story from, let me go back to it. It was 2017 where the Packers were in town and Rodgers was just randomly watching the streets in Chicago and a woman and her son, who was a Bears fan, came upon Aaron Rodgers and said hi to him and he took a picture and was very nice and cordial to them. So I think that there's probably some people in Chicago that think he's okay. Not all of them. And especially, I, I love the the I, I still own you and he will always own them so he takes a picture he's super nice those mm-hmm. people go home and they brag to everyone I met Aaron Rodgers and then he still makes their life miserable yeah, he because he beat their team pretty awesome they still secretly hate him it's fun to have that guy on your team and you know what it reminds me of Yadier Molina how many people yep. in the NL Central respect Yadi the way they respect Aaron Rodgers but they hate him he has made their life miserable third down 
Michelle, I talked about the only unbeaten team. How about the only winless team in the NFL? It's the Detroit Lions. They were drilled by Cincinnati at home 37 to 11. And Coach Dan Campbell isn't seeing enough knee biting and enough <laughs> in general from his quarterback, Jared Goff, who is 28 of 42 for 202 yards and no touchdowns plus an interception. Campbell said, quote, I will say this. I feel like he has to step up more than he has, and I think he needs to help us just like everybody else. He's going to need to put a little bit of weight on his shoulders here, and it's time to step up, make some throws, and do some things, but he needs help. Lions have a real chance with Jared Goff as quarterback to become the first team to go 0-17 in league history. And, oh, by the way, Jared Goff is making uh, Sean McVay look pretty good. Or is Matthew Stafford making him look pretty good? Well, Goff played pretty well. He went to a Super Bowl. He doesn't look anything like a Super Bowl quarterback now. Well, look at the team around him. Look at the team that was around him when he was with the Rams versus the team that's around him right now. Right. That helps. Having strong personnel surrounding you also helps. Great choice, Les Snead. (laughs) Man. First pick in the draft. I feel very bad for Lions fans. They don't deserve this. They do not deserve this. Detroit is a proud city. They love their Lions. They do not deserve this. They are more of a factory of sadness than Cleveland or St. Louis ever were. And that says something. They've won, Michelle, one playoff game since 1957. That's disgusting. It's unbelievable. Yeah, Detroit's got it rough. Fourth down. At least they got the Red Wings going for them. (laughs) You just had to get that in there, didn't you? You still hate the Red Wings. I love it. Blank and Red Wings. Yeah. Well, you know who else has it really rough right now? The New York Giants. Ooh. Randy, I was in New Jersey visiting my family over the weekend. There's Giants flags waving everywhere. And everywhere you go, people want to tell you how miserable the Giants are and how miserable they are to be fans of the Giants. And, you know, it seems like ever since Eli Manning left and ever since John Mara fired Pat Schumer, the team is in a worse spot than they were back in 2017. And since then... Dave Gettleman and the Giants, they have been really terrible. This was an embarrassing loss for them, 38-11, to to the Rams at home on Sunday. And it feels like the team is in a worse spot since 2017 and that they aren't going anywhere fast. There's really no reason for hope. And the Giants may be faced with yet another rebuild in just a few short years. Yeah, Dave Gettleman has been a huge disappointment. He actually built a Super Bowl team in Carolina. But he has been a disaster. Daniel Jones has not worked out. And it's not like they don't spend. They, they went out and got a bunch of free agents during the offseason, but they just can't figure it out. And there is, along with the Jets, no reason for both New York teams in any league to be as bad as the Jets and the Giants are. After four years of rebuilding, 15 and 38. That's what the Giants have been in four years. 15 and 38. And they hated Eli. They couldn't wait to get rid of Eli. Could not wait to get rid of Eli. You know, sometimes you need to appreciate what you have while he's there. Yeah. And he did bring you a couple championships. You should have maybe thrown a little bit more respect on Eli's name. Saved the world twice. I mean, how many people can say that? That they saved the world two times? I think it's only him. I think so. Yeah. Those are four downs with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we'll take a look at the Major League Baseball playoffs and are the Dodgers in trouble? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. (laughs) 
It's 9.02 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. And Michelle, last year at Dodger Stadium, the Atlanta Braves, or no, it wasn't at Dodger Stadium. It was in the bubble in Texas, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. The Braves beat the Dodgers 5-1 in game one and then 8-7 in game two. But the Dodgers did come back and win the National League Championship Series seven games. This year in Atlanta, the Braves have won the first two, both on walk-offs, and they will maintain home field advantage. If this series goes beyond five games, it'll come back to Atlanta. I still think the Dodgers, even though they have to win four out of five or four in a row, I still think the Dodgers are going to win this series. I just think that they're set up to win, and if they get to a game five, it'll probably have to be a bullpen game, Uh but I just think they're better. I think they're better than anybody, and that's... uh, I I hope they lose. I'm rooting for Atlanta. I'm not rooting for Atlanta to win as much as I'm rooting for the Dodgers to lose. Sure. But I do think that the Dodgers are the best team. You feel confident, even though Orius came in last night, and you know he's your Game 4 starter? Yeah, and... Max Scherzer noted last night that he threw, Urias did, 31 fewer pitches than Scherzer did when he went on three days rest. So I do think that Urias will be fine, and their bullpen is good. It, last night was an unusual occurrence for trying to get hit. He never gets hit. And then poor Kenley Jansen just throws one pitch and takes a loss. And Brewster Gratterall, he's as he's he's a giant Jordan Hicks. You know, 103-mile-an-hour sinker. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I still feel like the Dodgers are going to come back and likely even the series and, and put this one in a in an entertaining and dramatic position. But I would love to see the Braves just hand it to them. And, oh, by the way, the National League MVP, Freddie Freeman, has struck out seven consecutive times. So the Braves need to get him going. And Austin Riley has been great. They've, they've gotten great work out of a lot of people. I just think the Dodgers are better. For the other series, the one where we don't want anybody to win. Yeah, we want both teams to lose. It's Houston 1, Boston 1 as they go back to Fenway Park. Which one of those organizations is less evil in your mind right now? Because you don't oh, want Boston. To... Oh, but my gosh. We hate Boston teams and yeah. hate the Reds. But in terms of an evil organization, I'll do respect to Jim Crane. He owns the Floridian out in Florida. Yeah. But he's also their owner. And they still have people in that organization that cheated. On a, and it wasn't like PED when there wasn't rules cheating. This was, they actually wound up cheating so that they could get people fired for it. Do you think it's a favorable outcome for baseball or it... A, a bad outcome for baseball if the Astros win. I think it's a bad outcome for baseball if Bregman and Correa and Guriel and all of those guys that benefited yeah. wind up going back to the World Series. Now, the only positive, I'm trying to think of this from both sides. Yes, your base, if you're baseball, guys that you didn't punish and that face no consequences for this now being in this position again can't be a good luck. And of course, you don't want cheaters to, to prosper. But They've proven that they're a great team and a great organization without the cheating. And if you're baseball and they win the World Series, I guess it could be put to bed 
in some way, shape, or form. It reminds me a little bit of the Patriots after Spygate and after Deflategate, how they kept on winning and they they kind of removed the cheating stigma from themselves by mm-hmm. continuing to be great. It's still there. Don't get me wrong. It's always going to be inextricably linked to them, but it's not as pungent at a, as it would have been had they not won after cheating. So if you're baseball, at least you can say, well, this was a good organization and it, it wasn't all a result of cheating. No. But if you're baseball, I think you're better off just being quiet because Hinch and Beltron and Cora all got fired. But now they're back and having success. Well, two of them are. Well, and another one will be. Yeah, at, at some point. But I just think that baseball would be best served just to keep that as much in the background as they can. Yeah. I just don't want the Astros. I don't even want to have to think about that. I don't want I them don't to either. win. I'm with you. And I know we've gotten a lot of response this morning. By the way, we've got uh, tonight, ALC, or no, today's Monday, so we've got Blues and Coyotes. Tomorrow is ALCS Game 4 at 630 here on 101 ESPN. Game 3 is uh, later tonight, and Game 3 of the NLCS is tomorrow afternoon at 4. Uh, the Mike Schilt Dismissal is still a hot topic of conversation here, and I know a lot of you have weighed in on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. From the 573, Randy Michelle, what I can't understand is firing Mike Schilt but keeping the staff. It's mind-boggling. That makes zero sense to me. Well, it's clear that the differences of philosophy were strictly between Mike Schilt and John Mosellock and his people. Just as Bill DeWitt said, it was something that they didn't think could be overcome, that Mike Schilt had an issue with, and on the other side, Mo and his people had an issue with. And that's why it leads me to believe that it was more of a Jeff Albert thing. Yeah. Because Mo did say that the team was managed well. Mm-hmm. It's not about wins and losses. Right. right? So it's got to be about personnel on some level, whether it's personnel that is on the field or personnel that's in the dugout. I would think that's all I can think of. Well, didn't Mr. DeWitt say as much when he said this is about, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the quote right right in front of me, but a disconnect between Mm -hmm. Mo and his group and the manager. Yeah, right, right, exactly. From the 636, why should the Cardinals even hire another manager? It seems like they should just install a speaker system where Mosellock can call at all times and speak into the dugout from his suite. I think you want to have a guy that visits with the media to let the fans know what's going on with the team. I don't know how much they want to know, have the public know what's going on with the team. But I don't think Mo is the guy to, I don't think he wants to be thought of as the manager, even though kind of probably is. That has to be a really tough spot if you're the manager and something doesn't go right in the game, you end up losing, and let's say it was not your call that the front office Mm -hmm. indicated to you or the numbers indicated to you that this was the decision that you had to make or that was going to be made on your behalf, even if you didn't agree with it, and then you're the one that has to face the firing squad of the media after the game, and you can't say, this wasn't my call. Well, what you do, though, is what Roberts did the other day in saying, hey, I only have one vote, or Kevin Cash last Mm -hmm. year when he took out uh, Blake Snell. He said, this is something we have been doing. Uh, He didn't say it that way. Something that we've done all year. And so he doesn't have to take all of the heat for it, even though he was the one that had to go out to the mound. But even though you may have been overruled in that mm-hmm. situation, you're the only piece of that we that has to be the face of this. That's and you're your, the only yeah. piece of the we that has to wear it publicly. Right. You, you, that's what you're signing up for these days as a manager. For sure. And again, 
this isn't a Cardinal thing. This is a baseball thing now. From the 636, I'll tell you this. With one move, they ruined all the good vibes I had at the end of the season. It's either Jeff Albert or they aren't going to spend this offseason and let the kids play or some combination thereof. I wonder how many people who felt great about this Cardinals team heading into next year feel like the 636, that a lot of the good good vibes they felt are now removed. And Michelle, as we, you and I both get along with John Mozeliak and like Mo, but there are a lot of Cardinal fans that don't like him. And we did the poll when people said that they would rather miss the playoffs and they would rather miss the playoffs because they don't like the GM. And I think that's part of what you're running into here as well, because now he is the guy. Schilt isn't the face of the organization. Mo is. And even though he's had an incredible level of success, there are a lot of people that don't like him. That's true. Yeah, and he, he has a lot of pressure on him now, too. Mm-hmm. He appointed Mike Matheny. He appointed Mike Schilt. He is the one that removed both of them from, from those positions and is going to make this hire. And after positioning yourself the way that you did and consistently saying that 2022 was a year that you circled as a year that you would be a World Series contender, and I imagine they're going to make moves in the offseason to make them a better team, there's a lot of pressure on John Mozeliak to make this hire and get it correct. What does that pressure look like, though? Like that, his job's not in jeopardy type pressure? Right, right. exactly. Yeah, so the, the, there's pressure to win, but what are the consequences if they don't? That's what I wonder. That's a really good question because it does not seem like his job is in jeopardy at all. Uh, he's, he said that to us before, that he does not feel that way. Bill DeWitt has not not given any indication that if Mo doesn't make this no. higher and they don't win the World Series in X amount of years, that his job's in jeopardy. So that's a really good point. And I imagine it gives you a little bit more confidence to make moves like the one that you made with Mike Shelton, implement somebody that you feel is going to be on the same page as you when you know that your job is not in trouble. Yeah. And when you can come out and say publicly, I don't feel any pressure. That's a pretty good thing. It's the, that's pretty good job security. How about one more, Randy? From the 636, Chris Carpenter is someone who should have been a Cardinal for life. It's disgusting that they let him go elsewhere. Yeah, I think it's terrible. I And I don't know what led to his departure from the organization. But as a fan, he is somebody that we voted on to be a Cardinal Hall of Famer. And whatever you could find for him whatever he's doing for the angels you should have been able to find that for him in the cardinal organization too i believe i believe that as well that's michelle i'm randy and that is today's big thing on 101 espn coming up stick around for you're killing me smalls we're right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 espn And it is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. We got word over the weekend, Randy, that Ed Orgeron and LSU parting ways at the end of the season. Coach O put out a statement talking about the move. He talked about how he's always loved LSU football, even when he went elsewhere in his career. His heart was always with the Tigers. He closed out the letter by saying, I have always understood the expectations at LSU, and they are the same expectations I have for myself and our staff. I'm disappointed that we have not met these expectations over the past two years. Thank you to the entire LSU family for the opportunity to coach one of the greatest college football teams of all time. I'll continue to fight as will our team throughout the rest of the season. And then he ends it with his trademark. Go Tigers at Orgeron. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Very good, Coach O, for me, Randy. Yeah, how about that? So 
essentially, what, 20 months after winning a national championship, he's out as their head coach. He's 60 years old, and obviously he's going to get a really good buyout here. Mm -hmm. And my guess, Michelle, is that after going 5-5 and last year, he saw the writing on the wall and said, you know what, I might as well just accept this rather than get fired go out with a level of of dignity and be able to coach out his final season i wonder if he'll ever coach again though some guys it's it's something they can never escape mm-hmm. even if they take a break it's something that's always going to be a part of them and something that they'll chase but if you're at orgeron and you are the personification of lsu football mm-hmm. and you have lived out your dream you you brought a championship to baton rouge what's ever going to top that yes you will probably be a desired candidate for many openings and i'm sure you could do a good job and turn some other programs around you could certainly make some more money mm-hmm. in your career but nothing is likely ever going to top what he's already accomplished. And I would think down there that he'll be able to be on the radio and do pre and post game and do a radio show and talk LSU football for the rest of his life. Yeah, if he wants to, certainly. Can't go everywhere and do radio because not everywhere understands him. But down there, he can. He can do TV, close captions. That's true. <laughs> we, we would need that. No doubt about it. Well, who do you think is going to be a good replacement for Ed Orgeron at LSU? The two names that seem to be popping up are Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, who has no buyout on that 10-year, $75 million contract that just got extended, by the way. And James Franklin, who appears to be one of the favorites, if not the favorite, at USC. So... If I had to guess right now, I would go Jimbo. Although one of the names that didn't come up in the rumors that I thought would be a natural would be Joe Brady, Mm -hmm. who was the offensive coordinator for their championship team. He's the offensive coordinator for the Panthers now. I I would be surprised if he didn't get an opportunity to return to LSU in some form or fashion. If you're James Franklin, who's clearly the most desirable candidate right Mm -hmm. now out on the market, which job is more attractive to you? LSU playing in the SEC, uh, a place that has arguably the best, if not one of the best environments in college football, but you win a championship and a, a year and a half later, you're out because you're not living up to expectations or USC, which is kind of the West Coast version of that, but they haven't won in a while. A lot of pressure at both places, a lot of prestige at both places. I would say if you win in either place, the the credit is the same. Well, maybe more at USC because they haven't, it's been longer mm-hmm. since they've won and it's been harder, I guess, to find the guy to lead that program. But a lot of the same pressures exist at both of these places. Which one do you think is more desirable? Under Mike Bone, the new athletic director at USC, they have enhanced their resources dramatically. But they're a thousand miles away from LSU. LSU has the best facilities in the country. It's they're second to none. They're fantastic. And the last three head coaches at LSU, Nick Saban, Les Miles, Ed Orgeron, have all won a national championship. Can't say that for USC. Your chances to win are better. I believe the resources are better at LSU. So if your quality of life, if where you live doesn't really matter, if it's just all about Money and football, I think LSU is better than USC. Even though you have a tougher gauntlet through the SEC? Yeah, but if you win that gauntlet like they did two years ago, you're going to win the national championship. You know that. Yeah, that's a pretty good point. I don't know. I think both seem to be tough, tough positions mm-hmm. to enter. But I think I might want rather go to USC. Even though LSU 
you're right, the facilities are better. I think I would get more of a grace period and more of a, t- a chance to actually build something. If I went to USC and I know that I'm the guy that they want, I'm saying I need this many years for you to get out of mm-hmm. my way. And whatever the result is, I need it in writing that you're not going to fire me. You're not going to pressure me. I don't have to hear it from anybody that you're going to let me build this thing. And I think you're you're more likely to get that buy-in and that grace period and a chance to build something at USC than you will at LSU. And another thing you have to get if you go to USC is guarantees of pay for staff. Dave Aranda, the former defensive coordinator at LSU, now the head coach at Baylor, there was a time where there were only four head coaches in college football making more than he was as the defensive coordinator at LSU. And USC has been notorious for not paying their staff enough. So that's one of the things you'd have to get in writing. USC's a really, really, really good job, and you can recruit, you can own California. Sure. So I guess it ultimately it'd come down to where do you want to live? Do you, you probably don't have traffic in Baton Rouge. That's true. But I think you have more options. Maybe better, for, better restaurants for in food, California. Yeah, yeah, for nightlife, if that's your, your deal. Yeah. I would imagine you have more options at USC. Yeah. By the way, the nightlife has been something that has not been good for LSU head coaches over the years. <laughs> for a lot of head coaches over <laughs> yeah. the years, regardless of program. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. So let's talk about Lane Kiffin. That feels like a good mm-hmm. segue, no? Uh, Lane Kiffin and his return to Tennessee. Old Miss beating the Vols 31-26, to 26, and it was just absolute mayhem at Tennessee. Lane Kiffin was getting pelted with golf balls. There were all sorts of things being rained down onto the field. Water bottles, vape pipes, a half-eaten apple was down there, mustard bottles. You had the, the Tennessee Volunteers cheer squad and, and people who were with the team being escorted off the field. They're trying to protect themselves as they're getting off the field. Lane Kiffin's telling his players to put their helmets on so that they can protect themselves. It was just a really bad scene in Knoxville. Yeah, apparently they do have moonshine still in Knoxville, (laughs) Tennessee. And it was late in the game and they weren't happy with the way things were going and weren't happy at the beginning of the game because Lane Kiffin was coming back for the first time since he left them. Did one and done when he became the head coach at USC. So they were unhappy in the first place and then they got more unhappy as Kiffin's team had the lead in the late going. But even though... It was the students, and even though it was something that happened, I'm sure, out of frustration, it's inexcusable. And they'll get fined heavily by the SEC for doing what they did. And you just have to keep your fans under control and and your student sections under control. But that's easier said than done, especially when people may be pre-gaming a little bit. Yeah, pre-gaming and in-gaming, because one of the things that Lane Kiffin said afterwards was he picked up a lot of bottles that had brown liquor in them, brown liquid. So he, he said, I'm not sure that people in Tennessee would actually throw a bottle of moonshine, but that's what it looked like. Yeah, and what... What are you really going to do that's going to stop fans from behaving that way? Do you really think I was I was reading, I believe it, it was in Yahoo Sports, a suggestion that you don't let any fans come to the next game. You try to punish them so that they don't have a home field advantage. You're not going to do that because no. it hurts your, your team's chances of winning. And do you really think even if that were to happen, that Tennessee fans if they're in another situation and they're all liquored up during a game are going to say, well, let's let's not throw things onto the field because I don't want to get punished and not come to another game. Of course not. That is not going to change anyone's behavior patterns. It's never happened before at Tennessee. It happened because Lane Kiffin was there and it's not going to happen again. It was a unique situation. It was a perfect storm. 
and it happened. But you don't need to do anything now to punish the 100,000 because 100 were idiots there. So well, all you have to do is make sure that for the next game, you don't have Lane Kiffin coming back. That simple. But we've we've seen them become an angry mob before certain coaching hirings and oh, they, yeah. they tend yeah. to be a fiery bunch anyway. Yeah, they are. They drink a lot in Knoxville. <laughs> You're killing me, Small. And finally, Randy, the Washington football team yesterday was paying homage to Sean Taylor, one of the most iconic players in franchise history. They retired his number 21 jersey prior to kickoff, and they had a 21 memorial painted on the sidelines. And people are up in arms because Patrick Mahomes' brother, Jackson, who a lot of people don't like anyway, we've seen him throwing water on people, and he's... He's uh, not a fan favorite, Mm -hmm. I think, outside of Kansas City. He was making a TikTok on the field, and he did it right on top of Taylor's painted number 21 memorial, and people are furious about this. As they should be. And Patrick Mahomes has to keep his brother off the field now. What's what's his brother doing on the field anyway? But Patrick Mahomes has to apologize to the Washington football team and their fans and their organization. And then he has to get his brother off the field. That's just ridiculous. His brother and I believe girlfriend. Fiance. fiance, Thank you, fiance. They were on the field and they were in this roped off area. So a lot of people were asking. Clearly, they weren't just standing there. Someone had to escort them into this area. But if you're Patrick Mahomes. Holmes's brother, and you, this is not your first rodeo. You've been around the league. You need to have more self-awareness. If you're standing on Sean Taylor's memorial, maybe say, can we move? We don't want to stand here. For the love of everything that, that is sacred, do not do a TikTok dance on top of the memorial. It seemed to me like dancing on a grave. Yeah, you don't do that. No. And I know you're probably all about your brand and you want this to feed your ego so that you can get the likes or whatever, but have a little self-awareness about where you are and about what is happening. Yeah, that was totally inexcusable. And I think it, again, I think it's on Patrick Mahomes to try to make this as right as possible, even though the Washington football team has something to do with it because you shouldn't have had people able to walk on the 21 yesterday. No, especially not people who are representing the opposing team. No one should have been allowed there, but especially not those people. Yeah. And you know what, Patrick Mahomes, I think that you do well to get your loved ones off of social media. Can't control them. No. You got to just let them do them. Well, then don't do it on the field at a game you're playing at. That's correct. That'd be the best thing. That's correct. All right. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, the Blues are getting ready to take on Arizona tonight. And we're going to talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Blues win their opener Saturday night in Denver, 5-3 over the Avalanche. Game two tonight at Arizona in Glendale, and that's where Chris Kerber is this morning. The voice of the Blues joining us, as he does every Monday Monday on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Randy, I'm doing well. How are you? Welcome back. Thank you, and thanks for filling in for me last week. And uh, a great start for the Blues, the win over Colorado. And yes, I know that they that the Avalanche didn't have Landeskog or McKinnon, but I thought that the Blues vibe was really strong. I really liked the way that they came out and the way they finished. 
You know what? I think uh, one of the things that I was really looking forward to in that game was just seeing the energy and the chemistry. And I think the fact that they were in Vail for about four days before they came to Denver helped them because they were even in a higher elevation. So actually playing at Denver felt easier than the practices had felt the previous four days when you talked to some of the guys. So another little twist and turn in the altitude saga of playing out in Denver, but I thought the energy was good. I thought the way they rolled the lines was good. The discipline on the ice was good and allowed them to play that five on five game. And it looked like a Craig Berube style of game, but we saw the depth of the blues really in that one, because when they're able to roll these four lines, they can create some problems. Curbs, what did you think of Jake Neighbors in his debut for the Blues? Thought he looked okay, Michelle. I mean, I, he played nine minutes. Uh, didn't make uh, you know major mistakes. Uh, he showed his speed. He showed you know his ability to jump on the puck. There was one play in the defensive zone where it was just a read play. It was five on five hockey, and he put some real pressure at the point. And and it's his speed that, that allowed him to get there. But you know, Ken Hitchcock has uh, joined us for this game here in uh, Arizona. He's, uh, he was brought in as a consultant for Doug Armstrong, and Ken had spent a decent amount of time with watching the Edmonton Oil Kings over the last couple of years, and he had a lot of praise uh, to heap on to Jake Neighbors. You know, uh, he goes, he goes thick. He's, he goes country boy strong is how he <laughs> described him. But he's got he's got this maturity to him, guys. When you talk to him and when you're around him and when you see him, he looks like he belongs. There, there doesn't seem to be that you know, that, that nervousness of should I be here? And I think that's going to bode really well for him as uh, we move through the early part of the season. Curbs, one thing we haven't touched on this morning as we've reviewed the game is how great Jordan Bennington was. To see him get off to a good start is really important. And I'm sure that uh, the, the, this team that's always had confidence in him, the group in front of him, loved what they saw on Saturday. Yeah, this is, you know, the beginning of that six-year contract. So, you know, it's an important stretch of hockey for Jordan. But I thought Jordan was fantastic. In the second period, he's the reason that the Blues still held the lead and, and ended up winning that game when they were outshot 16-5. to Colorado just pours it on in the second period of games. It really is a, a unique trait of that hockey team. And Jordan was fantastic. And I know in the third period, Colorado made it a little closer. Things got scrambly. But uh, the Colorado got some fortunate bounces on that one. Now, uh, Jordan looked like he, he was swimming in the crease a little bit a couple times. That's expected. You know, you keep in mind, even though this team played eight preseason games, there were only two games where they actually played with close to their full regiment. That last one that they played didn't have – I mean, you played Columbus who didn't play anybody, right? So uh, there's going to be still some uh, adjustments going into the first part of the season as you get things going. But – uh, if those couple of unfortunate bounces don't go in, Jordan Bennington, to me, is the number one star in that game. Curbs, you also had to like how the Blues started the game with Braden Shen not forgetting about the cadre hit on Justin Falk during game two of the postseason. What did you make of Braden Shen uh, going out and protecting his teammate right off the gate, right out of the gate? Man, you know, Braden Shen, he's he's developing into that Alexander Steen type of uh, leader, I think, for this hockey team where – it's it's by his work ethic. It's how he handles things. It's it's who he is, and it's and it's what he does on the ice as well. And we've seen him now do that several times. Remember, we saw him fight, you know, just you know when when Bobby Plager passed, and he said after the game, it just he was best way I could honor him was to you know to, to pick up a five minute penalty because I wasn't going to get five points in a game, right? <laughs> so the he's just got that ability and understanding to it, and. 
Look, and I, and I know Brian Sutter was a great player for the St. Louis Blues, but I just compare Braden Shen a little bit with with his his willingness to do it in today's game when you need it, his ability to score, his understanding of, of that's important. I, I thought it was fantastic. And, and the quotes from Justin Falk afterwards, you know, spoke volumes to it. And, you know, you, you're seeing the leadership shift in this hockey team, Michelle, and, and two of those leaders that are, really coming to the forefront now for this team are, uh, are, are Braden Shen and, in my opinion, Justin Falk. So I liked what Braden Shen did just an absolute ton. What, what a, I mean, what a, what a St. Louis Blues style player this guy really is. Curbs, one other player I want to get your take on was uh, Colton Pareko, who played uh, uh, high in minutes for him in the last couple of years and played like a number one defenseman. He did, and the fact that he was healthy, I think, made it look uh, made Marco Scandella better in that game. There's also something I really like too, and if you looked at the kind of the lineup sheet that the coaches have in the locker room, they had Colton Pareko as that top pair, which is kind of what we envision, right? But I know it, it, it's a small thing, but it, it 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 speaks volumes in terms of you know where they they want him to be, and I, and I thought he played really really well. Though. He seems to like playing in Denver, too. He makes some unique plays just about every time uh, we, we get into that building. But he's, he's so big and such a key part of this defensive group. You know, he's not going to be overly offensive-minded. You know, he, he's got the ability to do it. But I, I, I think maybe we, we had hoped maybe for more. I don't know that we're going to see that. But he can control a game with his stick. He can control a game with his skating. And when he is healthy, he can be an, an absolute dominant force. And I asked a, I asked a longtime NHL executive the other day, you know, I'd say, I said a healthy Colton Pareko or a Seth Jones. And, and this, this person said, Ooh, that's pretty close. He goes, Seth Jones may have a little more offense. He goes, but out, he goes, yeah, Pareko without a doubt. And you got to realize that, you know, he's, he's not even 10 years in the national hockey league yet. And so they actually talked to me more about the fact that they think that there's still room to grow up for him to get better to where he can pretty much start to do anything he wants on the ice. And uh, I thought he had a terrific game and, uh, and, and played really, really well, and it's great to see him healthy. Hey, Curbs, before we let you go, one more thing. Since Doug Armstrong took over with the Blues, they've been very successful consistently. In that same time frame, the Arizona Coyotes have been up, down, up, down, up again, kind of, down again, up, and now it, it appears down again. What do you think the Blues are in for tonight in Glendale? Well, if you look through the, the Coyotes roster, you're going to see some familiar names like Andrew Ladd and Phil Kessel. And, you know, Jacob Chickren's become a force for them defensively. Carter Hutton is their goaltender. You know, but it, it, it looks and feels like a team of mis- misfits with, the, with what they did. Of course, you know, uh, Keller from St. Louis is on this team as well. They, if it's a team that's going to play hard. They haven't started the season well. But if you're the St. Louis Blues, you got to come in with your eyes open. Because last year, even though they had Connor Garland and Oliver Ekman Larson, you thought, okay, you know, the team shouldn't be as good as they were. And they handled the St. Louis Blues last season. So I think you got to come out and, and send a message here. And you're right. This Coyotes organization uh, has never really had much of a chance, I think, from a consistency standpoint with players here in the desert and, and with their ownership situations that have plagued them from day one of moving here from Winnipeg. So uh, they're back in a rebuild. Doug Armstrong is their, not Doug, uh, Bill Armstrong is their general manager. Uh, they've, they've packed up eight first and second round draft picks for next year. They've only got three guys under contract beyond this season. So they are clearly in a rebuild. 
But for the St. Louis Blues, they handled the, the Blues pretty well last year. You better come in with your eyes open and ready to go. Curb, it's great to hear your voice. Have fun out there in the Valley of the Sun, and we'll be tuned in tonight. Okay, have a great week, you two. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues on 101 ESPN pregame tonight from Glendale, Arizona at 8 o'clock. And Alex Ferrario will have that pregame. He'll join us as we head to the crossover to BK and Ferrario next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Danny Mac is out today, so we are going to have a full four hours of BK and Ferrario from 10 to 2. And during the course of that program at 11 o'clock, we will hear from the Cardinal skipper, Mike Schilt. He'll have his going away press conference, his Zoom press conference today. Alex Ferrario, how you doing? I'm fantastic, RK. It's great to see you back in for the week. You look like you got a lot of golf in over the week. I got some golf in over the week. I like yeah. to hear it. Not great golf, but I got golf in nonetheless. So and that was Smalls, fun. it was fun listening to you throughout this past week. You had what? Curbs? Saxy? Yes. McLaughlin? Yes. Man. You're like Dan McLaughlin on Valley Sports Midwest, right. just a rotation of analysts. That's right. We just have a bunch of fun people come in and hang out. It was great. <laughs> like it. Now, like a boss. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Alex. Now, are we calling this Mike Schultz going away press conference? I don't know. That's what I just thought <laughs> you of. You know what I'm thinking of? His side of the story press conference is what I would like for it to be. I hope we get some information out of Mike Schilt today that we didn't get from John Mose. Like, I, I would like to get a little bit more clarity on what the philosophical differences were. I know that they gave us some sort of indication that it had to do with uh, analytics, thought process, maybe relationships inside um, of the building. Katie Wu and Derek Gould have done some reporting, but I would like Mike Schilt to come out and just throw it all out there, say, here's what happened. But clearly he didn't think it was as big of a a problem, a divergence of opinion as the front office did. If he's stunned that he got (laughs) let go, right. How upsetting would it be if Mike Schultz just said, yeah, there were philosophical differences the entire press conference? That would be a bummer. That would be a bummer. But he has to speak, and I would imagine You don't call the press conference if you're not going to. True, Um, and I would imagine he doesn't want to air too much out right now because he's angling for a job elsewhere. Yeah, San Diego's already interviewing him. Correct, and at least he, I would imagine, might want to keep a lid on some things until he figures out what his next move is. I don't think that today's the day we're going to get the entire story, but I would like to get a little bit more information or at least just hear what he has to say. See, that's the frustrating part for me because I would have liked Mike Schilt to already have a job somewhere else so we could get like the Eddie Murphy raw and unedited mm-hmm. Mike yeah. Schilt version of this. Like, I, I, That's my biggest thing in this. I just want to know what happened. And I know you're not going to give us everything, but I want to know what those conversations looked like because the BK and Danny Mac had Michael Gersh on their show two weeks ago where he was glowing about Mike Schilt. I heard Bill DeWitt Jr. glowing about Mike Schilt. So something happened from the moment Alex Reyes threw that last pitch up until the point where John Mosellock said, no, nah, this isn't going to work. And for you to call that press conference during a playoff game and have to get Major League Baseball's approval where the next day the Chicago Cubs announced who the general manager. You had to wait less than 24 hours to call a press conference, but you said, no, we have to do it now. That means something big had to have happened. By the way, do you think in the request for approval, Bill DeWitt called Rob Manfred and said, hey, Rob, we're having a press conference. 
<laughs> you think that was the request? Because he has more power than Rob yes. Manfred? Maybe. <laughs> I feel like everyone has more power than Rob's like, yeah, sure, whatever, yeah. Bill. It's fine. Just hey, don't bother me. Heads up. This is what we're doing. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the parenting yeah. thing. You tell them what they're doing rather than you ask if yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Rob, it's Commissioner DeWitt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, clearly they weren't too concerned or they didn't think that they wouldn't get the clearance. But, yeah, yeah, the the timing of it and the urgency of it is still kind of a question to me. Um, I understand maybe wanting if you're making this move or you've made this move, I understand the urgency of calling the presser so that you can control the narrative and that you can announce it before it undoubtedly gets leaked to the media and then the speculation grows. But I don't think that making the announcement yourself has squashed any of the speculation or squashed any of the conversation. I think had they waited a day and we got the news through another party, I mean, I understand wanting to control it and at least having respect for Mike Schilt by not revealing a lot of stuff or at least seemingly having respect for the situation. But yeah, all of it's still a little confusing to me. Well, and that's the hard part too, because it's like you don't really control the narrative if you're John Mozeliak and Bill DeWitt because you kept everything so gray. Everyone, I mean, even Jeff Passan was like, you understand why we are prying so much to get these answers from you because this is so strange. That doesn't control the narrative, so then it turns into speculation. And then if Mike Schilt talks today, and if Mike Schilt kind of keeps it gray, then the speculation just continues to grow until Mm -hmm. they – I think the questions are always going to be there until the Cardinals name their next manager – and what their offseason looks like. Because if they name a Ali Marmol or a Stubby Clap and then they don't make any big moves and say that they're going to stick with their internal options, well, then that was the problem because Mike Schilt was wanting some offensive upgrades in the offseason. If there's a sweep in the World Series, it'll end on October 30th, a Saturday. Okay. If it goes seven games, it'll end on November 3rd. Take it or leave it, the Cardinals' new manager is introduced on Friday, November 5th. I'm going to take that because I do think that they would like to do it on a Friday because it's sort of a we're going to announce it and then everyone's going to be off for a few days. So we kind of we get to do our part in this and then mm-hmm. have a couple of days for you to digest it before we kind of we probably have to speak again. I'll leave it because too. I'd love the fact that the Cardinals and John Mozeliak would uh, announce the manager the same time that Mike Schilt does his press conference earlier today. Oh, by the way, <laughs> it will happen because... It's another week that I'm on vacation. Oh, I texted Randy last week. I said, two weeks ago you took vacation and the Cardinals clinched and went to the postseason. Right. And then you took vacation again and they fired Mike Schill. It's a guarantee that something major will happen when you're on vacation. That was like earlier this year uh, when the Cardinals legends were passing away. Lou Brock and Bob mm-hmm. Gibson, uh, BT, he was on vacation because it was the offseason. Yeah. And it was like the same times it kept happening. BT was like, I'm afraid to go on vacation again because of what's going to happen. That's true. So you two can never take yeah. vacation so again. So no more vacation Sorry. for you, RK. Yeah, Sorry. No more. All right. What do we got coming up on BK and Ferrario? So as you mentioned, RK, we're going to hear from Mike Schilt, the press conference starting at 11. Katie Wu is going to be joining us at 1015. She had an article out uh, yesterday about the Mike Schilt conversation. Uh, and then plenty, of course, Cardinals reaction. We'll get some Blues talk in there as well. And on a day like this, when you have pregame tonight at 8 and the game will go until... Midnight, do you take a nap between your show and the start of Blues pregame? You know, pre-baby, Alex would have gone home and taken a two-hour nap. Post-baby, Alex is just on coffee, coffee. pot number three. Okay, good call. So I was we'll going to say, we'll you, keep got the, rolling. you got the blazer on. You can't nap now. <laughs> no, no more naps. It's, You're already game time I'm wrinkle-free. No more naps. Right. Sorry. Right. Good seeing you. Thank you. You too, RK. Great job by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Good to see you. Thanks. You as well. And... 
Michelle, this was fun. It's good to be back. It's great to have you back, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow. We will. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.